Drop another new joint on them right now. The Bridge to Bridge Podcast with, with, with Big Mike and Baywatch starts now. Starts now. Check them out, y'all. Check them out. Charles, what's up, my man? How you doing? I am well. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm Mike. I'm one of the hosts of the show. This is my brother, Dominic, who's another host. Charles, hey, Dominic. how you doing, man? Happy, happy noon. Happy 12 o'clock. Happy 12 o'clock. Are you at a standing desk right now? I am. Yeah, you want me to take the elevator down? No, no, dude, I love it. I mean... <laughs> that was smooth. You like that? <laughs> Good execution, 100%. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'm going to go to the wine cellar real quick. <laughs> do, you, do, you run the, do you run the standing desk like all the time or is, is that... Yeah, I bought a couple of years ago. I got, I got the one that, that's kind of motorized and it hasn't gone down ever since I bought it, so... Yeah, you know, we... We still yeah. sit at a at a desk where we're you know I'm six seven. My brother Dominic is what are you six four, Dom? Yeah, but I'm shrinking though. I went to the doc the other day, and I think I'm six two and a half now. Like I, I I've shrunk an inch and a half over the years. Hey, listen, I'm 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 five eight and a half on a good day. So I'll take I'll take any of those inches that you're that you're giving up. <laughs> they're 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 falling off. So it's just the way it's the way to life. You know, sometimes I think it just it, it works on the padding. But we're here. You know, that's right. That's right. What do you got? I like that. I like, well, first thing, that background, dude, that, yeah. that background, is that you, the actual background of the room? I thought that was no, like- that's real. Cause, wow. It's real. Yeah. Is that, is that um, like a famous, famous piece of art or- it's, it's not super famous, but this was the thing. This was actually the original piece that hung in the original Suvla. I, I blew my entire- It turns out when you, when, with, with like photography, you have to buy the rights to use the photo. And with the first restaurant with a very, very, very scrappy budget, and I spent my entire like decor budget buying the rights to this photo. So this was taken at the Greek Greece Turkey border probably 30, 40 years ago by a, a pretty well known Greek photographer. And basically the story goes they were trying to cut this kind of gypsy off at the bar and to prove that he was still sober enough, he finished his drink and held the chair at the same time. So I so I, I believe that, that the Greeks have, have invented just about everything so i kind of title this the original field sobriety love that man that's, a, that's an attention grabber that's a very yeah. cool piece right there and now in the and this has been up in the office for years uh we, we've since put newer versions in the restaurants that are mounted on like a sound absorbent material so it's like a sound deadening thing so there's some function to it but this was the original one and so i put it up in the office and then i got the standing desk and now that everything's on zoom it makes for a, a pretty convenient background very cool very cool yeah we're we're still running. We run our show, obviously, as you can tell on Zoom. My brother's yeah. located in LA. I'm up here in San Francisco, but you know we're both natives up here. But you brought up the restaurant. We wanted to have you on the show because a I I love Suva. My mother loves Suva. Don I think has been there a few times. He's down in LA, but you know we're kind of expanding our show, looking to kind of get more business leaders on the show and, and folks sure. that are actually doing stuff in San Francisco and. You know, we're we're glad to have you on. You you brought up the restaurant. Can you talk a little bit about the beginnings of the restaurant and kind of how it started? Sure. The story of Suvla can be told in two parts, two sort of like parallel stories, and and one of them is about the product, and one of them is about the format, and they both kind of happen somewhat simultaneously. So, on the product side, so I'm. Uh, Greek-American, 100% Greek, both sides, but of an interesting sort of generation being a, now 40. So of a generation where 
my parents and my mother came to the U.S. from Greece. And my father was born in the U.S. to Greek parents. In the 80s and 90s, it was still very much a thing of like the immigrant mentality of, of wanting, you know, their kids to be sort of like normal Americans, you know. So as much as we grew up with a lot of the culture and the tradition in the home and church and, you know, the, the, the holidays and the feast days, et cetera, we were very much kind of, you know, we didn't speak the language at home and things like that. So Suvla is very much a direct reflection of my somewhat complicated relationship with my cultural heritage, right? Because it is obviously very Greek, certainly to anyone that is not Greek. 99% of our clientele is not Greek. We wanted to, when I when I created the concept and, and, and the idea, I wanted this to be very, very approachable to people that were not Greek and keep it very, very simple, but obviously honor a lot of the traditions and a lot of the aesthetics and certainly some of the food and, and of course, uh, all of the wine there. So the original idea for Subla started with a backyard lamb roast. And so this coming Sunday is actually Greek Easter this year. It's a week after American Easter. And so that that is the holiday for Greeks around the world. It's bigger than Christmas. It's it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, and everything else like rolled up into one. It is like the ultimate day. And so on Easter Sunday, there is the tradition that you roast a whole lamb. Everyone, if you're somewhat observant, is gen has generally abstained from meat, dairy, et cetera, for 40 days. So this is like the big feast day. And so... About 12 years ago, I had sort of a version of that. It was not on Easter, but I had this this backyard lamb roast for friends and friends of friends. I was living in the inner Richmond at the time, and we had a, a lot of those apartments out there had backyards. So we had this big lamb roast, this kind of big outdoor sort of barbecue, you know, roasted a whole lamb. People brought dishes, kind of potluck stuff. And so the the following day, sort of cleaning up, I made myself this leftover sandwich and I just happened to have all of the ingredients of some pita bread, some, you know, this beautiful heirloom tomato salad, some feta cheese, and of course all this delicious picked whole roasted lamb. And so I made myself this kind of like lunch snack while cleaning up and the light bulb kind of went off and it's like, this is delicious, but why, why can't I find this anywhere? And so the wheel started to turn and, and thinking through, and, and then again, this is like 2009, 2010 where we were, we were seeing the reimagining of, of a lot of these sort of ethnic, either comfort or sort of traditional street food dishes. You know, the the sort of the, the chefification, if you will, of like the burger, the taco, and everything else. And no one had really touched the gyro or souvlaki sandwich, which kind of came to the States in like the early 70s and has always been synonymous with like either being on these sort of like Mediterranean, Middle Eastern restaurants with a gazillion items mm -hmm. or this like late night drunk food. Less so in, in, in California, but certainly of course in Chicago and New York and places like that, this sort of mystery cone meat, you know, that gets shaved off with this like really crappy out of season produce and frozen pita and stuff like that. So that's where this, that's where the, the idea for the product came is like, okay, how can we take you know, I'm living in California. We have access to all of this incredible produce, you know, meats, you know, all this other stuff. Like the architecture of this sandwich is fantastic. Warm, fluffy pita, cold yogurt, hot meat, you know, fresh vegetables. Like let's create a better version of the gyro or souvlaki sandwich. The difference, obviously one is the spitting cone. The, the souvlaki is more of the, the skewered grilled meat. 
Um, and suvla, the word, is the, is the Greek word for the actual rod that you roast a piece of meat on, the actual skewer. Suvla meaning sort of like a big skewer you used to skewer and roast a whole lamb. The aki sort of, you know, attached to the end there just implies that it's small, like you would say like ito or, you know, whatever in, in, in other languages. So that's kind of where that started on the product side and on the format side. So, so Suvla has pioneered what is known as the, this sort of subgenre of restaurant called, we call fast fine. Other people call it fine casual or upscale fast casual or whatever you want to call it. Basically like basically blending together, certainly at the time, my fine dining background, I was living in San Francisco. I was working for Michael Mina, the chef who had his eponymous restaurant at the time at the West in St. Francis. I was just helped open RN74 in the Millennium Tower. Prior to that, I was with Thomas Keller working at the French Laundry. So most of my career had been in fine dining. Mm -hmm. But my journey through those through those restaurant groups, getting more exposed to sort of the business side of it was the business fundamentals of fine dining are, are inherently flawed, right? Yes, you're charging you know an awful lot of money for these incredible tasting menu experiences, but there's so much that goes into it that the profit margins, which is common for almost all restaurants, but certainly in fine dining, profit margins are very, very small. And this is at a time when fast casual was really starting to explode, you know, the rise of, you know, Chipotle and Panera and Sweetgreen and things like that. And so my thought was, okay, well, how do I take the operating principles and sort of unit economics of a, of a fast, of a fast casual restaurant, apply my fine dining kind of operations background and then blend in this modern version of the Euro sandwich and make something that is super versatile and simple and approachable and craveable and make it available to everyone and something that you didn't have to be Greek to walk into. And I think you both know there's not a lot of Greek restaurants in and around the Bay Area. You know, we have Okari and Evia, which are kind of the two sort of like gold standard, same owner, but that's a little more traditional kind of full service, you know, fine dining-ish Greek. And so I wanted something that we could do volume that that could be what we call in, in our industry, omni-channel. So you can order, you know, online or in store, or you, you eat there or take it away or have it delivered and all those things. And so it took, it took, you know, I would say probably about four years from idea to opening. It took a full two years to find a location, raise a relatively small amount of money, certainly in, in the restaurant world, certainly by today's standards, and, you know, get enough investment on board and build the team and all those things. And so we just celebrated last week, actually, technically last Saturday, April 8th, we just celebrated our ninth anniversary. We have five restaurants, a sixth being built out right now, and we're back to almost about our pre-COVID sort of fighting weight of, of right around 200 employees. So that, that's the, that's the uh, probably the most succinct way I can tell the Subla story. Well, I'll say one thing. You did it because my first exposure to the restaurant was I'm driving home down California and my mom goes, honey, we got to stop to get these potatoes. And I go, <laughs> I never, who says that? Like we were stopping <laughs> to get potatoes to go. So sure. I knew like there's something going on. She's on this like thing. And I guess you guys do that. Like it's a roasted potatoes and, and we get them and they're unreal. Right. Like I'm like, I'll try one. And we smoke the whole container before we get home. <laughs> yeah. I just, for the, for the audience out there. So we have this dish that's been on the menu since the very beginning, we call them juicy potatoes. And so if you walk into any of the restaurants, 
the, one of the first things you see are these beautiful brass trimmed rotisseries. They have eight spits on them. And so on there, we roast pork, pork shoulder, lamb leg, and old chicken. And, and we have a tray at the bottom of these beautiful machines that cost more than a regular car these days. And it collects all of the drippings off of all of the different meats. And so we collect all that. And then we take new bungle potatoes, sort of smaller, like golf ball sized potatoes. And we just roast them in all of that delicious animal fat. So it yeah. creates this like incredibly meaty potato. Yeah, she was she was like, I can't figure it. There's something that is so insane about these. And I was yeah. like, oh, for sure. There's like, I mean, I can taste the lamb, but I mean, like unbelievable, right? So, you know, a place that's, I would say to what you were saying about the whole experience, not very frequent that you're going to go to a very, you know, fine dining, authentic Greek spot and just order some potatoes to go right. for a quick little grab. So that was my first exposure. And that's uh, cool. Yeah, was, that's cool that it was that it was the it was the potatoes. Yeah, that's really awesome. When you started, when the idea was brewing and you were getting ready to open up, what was kind of the the political landscape in San Francisco, and what were some of the challenges challenges you had, you know, finding places to you know rent or lease and and open your business? Like, how how did you come to that decision? Hey, I want to have the first location here. So it took. It's a great question and one that I don't get asked very often. So I'm, it's it's really awesome that you asked it. So it, it's an incredibly complex process to open a restaurant, especially in a city like San Francisco, which is pretty notorious. This has been very well documented in, in all kinds of newspapers and magazines and, you know, has this sort of Byzantine permitting process. So that in and of itself is one thing, but it's, it's something that took me really a, a full sort of two years of pounding the pavement and sort of exploring various neighborhoods and really figuring out where I wanted the first Suvla to be. Real estate is for any for any sort of retail business owner, and I and I say retail because obviously restaurants are retail, but it's whether you're selling, you know, sneakers or t-shirts or tchotchkes or sandwiches or, you know, whatever, any place that involves foot traffic, you have to be really, really thoughtful about where you go. And the difference between even being a half a block off can can make the difference of having some something that is ultimately successful versus something that is not. And even, you know, we're seeking you from our office in Hayes Valley, which is around the corner from the original Suvla, which I had to wait, you know, over a year to get access to that space. It's a longer story that I that I don't want to tell, but it was a little complicated. But like I, I held out and I and it's one of those things that I tell people because I was originally going to open in a place sort of deeper in the, in the Mission District, which was at the time kind of up, up and coming. The deal was the rent was really cheap. You know, the space was cool, you know, but and I got great advice from another restaurant operators basically saying it's like most things like you want to you want to find the best possible space that you can afford. It's just like anything else, just like buying a car or a house or whatever. It's like find the best possible you know version of that that is in your budget that you can afford. And so in this case, the the patients paid off. Hayes Valley, this is, you know, 2014. Hayes Valley was really starting to kind of come up. You know, I think starting really after about 2010 or so, we started to see the neighborhood really transform. Yeah, and I've, you guys obviously know big natives up here, but obviously Hayes Valley, you know, 20, 30 years ago was a much different neighborhood when it had the freeway running through it. And once that came down, which took quite a long time, you know, Patricia's Green sort of sprouted up and and by removing this massive 
hulking, you know, freeway, all of a sudden you kind of watch this really incredible neighborhood sort of develop and flourish. And so we were really fortunate to get in there while, you know, while there was a lot of things that were starting to kind of turn over a little bit. And so we ultimately signed the lease in 2013. We opened in April of 2014. That in and of itself was an interesting process because, you know, when you're trying to raise money and things along those lines, it's this constant game of, you know, cart and horse or chicken and egg and things like that, where it's like, you know, people don't want to invest in you unless you have a space. You can't get a space unless you have the money. You know, you obviously can't start building things out until you have the money. So it's this, it's this, you know, it was a really challenging process for me in the early days to raise, you know, the original Suvla was, was a project that was less than a half million dollars. And so when you, when you think about that today, you know, an average Suvla takes, you know, well over a million dollars now to, to build out. So it was a very, very scrappy project and it was met with a lot of resistance and rejection in the early days because, you know, I met with a lot of people trying to raise, trying to sell them on this concept. You know, at the time I had a pedigree and, and, a, and, a, and a relevant education. I have both a culinary degree and a, and a hospitality management degree, but I didn't have any experiences as I had operated other people's restaurants, you know, but I had never operated my own. And so it was a really complex and really stressful process that we ultimately, you know, a lot of things and a lot of people came together to get the doors open. And it's really great that, that all those people are, are still in my life. But I think the last part, when you talk about the climate, you know, what I started to see starting really 2009, 2010, you know, come, I moved to San Francisco down from, from the Napa Valley in the fall of 2008, right when the big crash happened. And, you know, watching that happen and watching the impact on restaurants and retail and just investment in general, you know, I started to see what we're still seeing now, which is that San Francisco is obviously an incredibly expensive city to live in and to operate in, but also the, the sort of the mid, what I call sort of like a, like a mid tier full service restaurant. We're talking like a, like a casual spot that you don't need reservations, but that you that there is table service. You're kind of, you're like your local neighborhood restaurant, you know, that that as a category of restaurant was not going to ultimately survive, you know, certainly keeping at its price point and things along those lines. It needed to go in one of two directions. It either, it either needed to go more premium, higher, higher, you know, menu prices, higher level of service, experience, et cetera, which, you know, we see a lot of that now, or it needed to go the opposite direction where it needed to be sort of stripped down a little bit and made more efficient and a little bit more versatile and flexible, which is where we see, you know, with, with the rise, certainly in the last, you know, nine years and more and more of the, the sort of souvla of, you know, where, where, where it can be many things to many people, right. And you can come in and, you know, you have a quick lunch break and just, you know, crush a salad and get back to the office. You can, you know, order online, pick it up to go and take it back to, you know, with you, you're at home and, you know, you want it delivered or also, you know, it's been a big priority for me in as someone who does all of the sort of design work and, and development work is I've always wanted our restaurants to be nice enough that, that you could bring a date there. Right. And so there's a lot of attention paid to just the overall hospitality, the, the design, the aesthetic, the lighting, the music, all of those other service standards and touch points that really make Supla stand out from, from a lot of our a lot of our peers and it's been and it's it's now sort of you know manifested itself over the years where where we've been very very fortunate to have been a part of many people's lives but but in in many people's very very special moments 
We've catered a number of weddings because people either went on their first date at Suvla or we've had one where people were a couple met in line at Suvla. We've had, believe it or not, we've had a marriage proposal at Suvla. So, so the restaurants and, and the brand have become a part of the cultural fabric of the city of San Francisco in a way that I had never in my wildest dreams imagined it to become. I had set out to kind of, you know, reconnect with my with my Greek heritage and sort of elevate, you know, a, 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 fair, a fairly traditional sort of street food dish that I thought like could be improved upon. And here we are now, you know, we serve, you know, the better part of almost 3000 people every day, you know, and, and, and get to, yeah, get to be a part of people's lives. And, and, you know, it's really great. You know, I, I try to travel as much as I can. So it's great when you run into people and, you know, people know of, you know, the restaurant or been to the restaurant or things along those lines. I was talking to my father the other day who was on a flight there, there in the East coast, who was flying down he was on, on vacation with, with my mother. And they were talking to the people in the airplane next to them and you know it turns out that you know he mentioned san francisco and then it's you know gets gets into that thing and all of a sudden you know he mentions the word shubla and the guy lights up and like you it's know his kids are huge shubla fans and all the other stuff and it's, right. it's really really awesome so. yeah that's good you're, you're bringing it back to greek town which you know from my understanding historically san francisco the the greek culture in sf goes way back and then kind of yes. faded away you know mid 20th century but, but no, that's really cool bringing it back and hearing stuff where people enjoy it. And it seems like you're well positioned. You know, I wasn't going to get into COVID. I'm sure you could go on forever about navigating your, you know, your, your restaurant through COVID, but seems like you guys are really positioned for this new, you know, the concept of a hundred seat restaurant, being able to just survive seems like that's kind of, you know, a little bit of the archaic old school set up that that maybe will never return you know there's still big restaurants but it's just so tough like you said the entry to say i'm going to open a you know 40 table huge restaurant and we're gonna we'll be good yeah it's something that's that's definitely a, a big big challenge moving forward and like i said it's just the economics and the way that things are today it makes it very very difficult whether it's whether it's the cost of labor whether it's the cost of rent whether it's you know all of the other sort of, you know, add-ons that operating in a city like San Francisco or, or even the state of California that are that are in place, you know. And so, you know, when you talk to, that, you know, the, the restaurant business for the most part is, is not terribly large, but, you know, and just spending a lot of time in, in other cities, you know, there are a lot of larger brands that won't come to the Bay Area or won't even come to California because of all of these sort of additional needs that have to be yeah exactly exactly so so in my mind you know this is actually somewhat of an advantage to us because this is all we know you know we were born here Suva was born here and so we have built a model and a business you know in arguably the hardest most expensive city in America to operate in you know so and and have and have come up in a world where before we opened you know you know, they, I think they had announced by probably 2010 that we were going to eventually be at a $15 minimum wage by 2014 or 2015. I can't remember exactly when. And so we were able to basically build a business model around that as opposed to, you know, other cities in America where they still use the federal minimum wage, which shockingly is like $7 and 70 cents and then, and then supplement the rest in, in, in tips. You know, we were 
we were at the forefront, even at a relatively small size of providing medical insurance to all of our employees, you know, before we, before we were, before we had to, in terms of our overall size. And I'm, and I'm, I'm incredibly proud to have built an organization that is not only run by just an absolutely phenomenal team of people, my, my, my leadership team, but also on a, on a broader scope that, that Subla, despite again, only having five restaurants. So small compared to obviously, you know, big chains, but every, every Subla employee has health insurance. Every Subla employee has a 401k plan. You know, every Subla employee, regardless management, hourly salary has paid vacation, has dental, has vision, has all of these other incredible benefits that groups, you know, 10 times our size oftentimes don't, don't provide. So we, we really, really prioritize building a really healthy, really positive culture here and also providing our team, what I believe to be a pretty extraordinary level of benefit, certainly compared to your average sandwich shop, you know? You know what I was going to ask? What, what percentage you talk about pivoting for the future? What, what percentage of takeout do you guys catch and how do you see that kind of like moving forward as the years go on and you guys get more locations with people ordering, you know, DoorDash, like that kind of pickup services coming through? I'm always really curious about that. Yeah, we have a really, really strong partnership and have had since almost our inception with both Caviar and DoorDash. Uh, DoorDash acquired Caviar a couple of years ago. And this is a very much of a right place, right time, because when we first opened 2014, delivery was not a thing in San Francisco. It just, it, it was, it just didn't exist. Certainly in, in my development of the business plan, delivery wasn't even, the word delivery wasn't even mentioned in there. It's not like New York where Seamless and Grubhub had been a way of life for the last 20 years. You know, San Francisco didn't really latch on to delivery until about 2014, 2015. And so what was really interesting is that we fairly early on formed an, an exclusive relationship with Caviar and worked very, very closely because you have to remember Caviar, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Postmates all started in San Francisco, you know, and like all of like, we, we have this major advantage. We have a lot of disadvantages compared to other parts of the, of the country, but we have a major advantage is that. So much innovation, whether it's in restaurant or restaurant technology, obviously technology is a broader sector, and even other things that are that are you know more in the sort of socio socioeconomic space. A lot of it originates here and then makes its way across the country. So we were in a position where we got to figure out delivery and work very very closely with it. at the time a very very small group of caviar folks and really figure out the delivery business. And it's by kind of a happy accident that our food happens to deliver fairly well, you know? So that was- Mike, you, the, you see, you, like, you got a guy right here who's obviously on the order train. Yeah. That was never like, when, when I when I, when I I created the menu, I, I knew that there was going to be a to-go business, but I had never intended for it to be delivered. And even the things that don't deliver tremendously well, like our Greek fries or our frozen Greek yogurt, people still want them delivered. And so we're still happy to deliver them. And honestly, like- the fries, you know, flash them in the broiler for like five minutes, they crisp back up. The froyo, stick it in the freezer while you're eating your sandwich or your salad, pull it out five, ten minutes before you're ready for it. You temper nicely, it's great. We, you know, we were flying that stuff in the air about a year and a half ago, and it's like it still plays. So to answer your question, about half of the business at Subla happens outside the restaurant, more or less. And I'm kind of averaging across across all of the the restaurants. So when I say that, that's that's a combination of 
online ordering to go and delivery. Um, and in some and in some and in some locations, it's it's you know even more than half. So deliveries somewhere around thirty-ish percent of the business now. Online ordering is about ten, you know, and then and then the the, the to go side is you know depending on the on the location, you know, another ten twenty percent. So that gets you about sixty percent if you're if you're doing the math there. So is it at a percent where do you separate the sides of the house on that on those two like or is everyone you know are people doing you know, in-house stuff and the delivery stuff, or is it kind of like divisioned out within the restaurant where you go like, Hey, you're, you're on takeout stuff. Like you don't even engage on in the house orders, yeah. et cetera. Great question. So, so the, the kitchens themselves are set up, you know, to be incredibly efficient. So there's, everything's coming out of, it's very fast. You know, we average, you know, a five to six minute ticket time when we're really Rolling, so everything comes out of one kitchen. So there's not like a separate kitchen that just wants to go or deliver or any of those things. On the on the on the guest facing sort of dining room management side, so all the restaurants now have sidewalk facing pickup windows. This is something that we kind of piloted and and have been at, at the forefront for a number of years. It's it's the closest thing to like an urban drive through without an actual drive through. All the restaurants have uh, loading zones out front of them. So in theory, as long as people aren't parked illegally there, you can you have a place to pull up, jump out of your car. And then you can pick up your order from the window without having to wait in line. And so, yes, to answer your question, in general, there are usually about two, sometimes three people behind the order counter. One of them is just sort of managing the to-go delivery sort of pickup side of things. And then the other person or, or, or people are greeting guests and taking orders and, you know, serving wine and things like that. I feel like right now running a business in San Francisco can be really challenging for, for a number of reasons, but specifically, you know, the homeless issue and, and how crazy the city has been with that. Like, how have you been able to kind of balance that situation, you know, with people sleeping in front of your restaurants or, you know, there being any sort of issues that happen outside in the community? Like, do you feel like you're going outside of your comfort zone to kind of manage that and getting you know, leaders in the city involved, or are you having to manage that yourself? It's a, it's a great question. I do live in San Francisco. I live just off of Market Street. So and I walk to work every day. So, so my level of, of exposure. Heavy. So is very, is, is, is very heavy. And, 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 and I will say this because we have had, you know, over nine years, we have dealt with everything that could possibly happen, whether it's, you know, fires, you know, overdose deaths, burglary, you know, Oh my God. I mean, too many to count, you know, vandalism, you know, employees being, you know, jumped, you know, and or attacked, you know, follow after leaving work. I mean, everything under the sun. And it's, you know, and I w I'm a former board member of the Golden Gate Restaurant Association. So, you know, I, I've, I've tried, you know, to, you know, be a part of, you know, groups that are hoping to make a difference. But I will just say that it is incredibly challenging and, and, we don't appear as a city to be making the progress that, that we should. And it makes it, with every passing month, it makes it harder and harder for our team to live here and to operate here and to feel safe. And we, you know, we need better, more effective leadership because this, what, what has happened, you know, I've been in the city now for, for 15 years and the San Francisco that I moved to in 2008 is not the San Francisco that I live in now. And it's, it's, 
many years of what I believe to be our, our failed policies and, you know, ineffective leadership. And, you know, we need to see, you know, and obviously, you know, this is hard to say. And again, because, you know, I, I'm someone who has, you know, moved here, gotten married here, built a business here. You know, I, I take great pride in what we have built. I take great pride in the team that we have assembled and, and the hundreds of, of women and men that work in our restaurants and they are my ultimate priority. And, you know, to see what has happened and to, and to hear some of these stories and, and also with, with fellow restaurant owners, it just, it's really, really difficult. So I think that, you know, I think that we collectively, whether we're, whether we're business owners, whether we're residents, you know, all of us taxpayers, I own a home here. You know, I think I think it's really really important for us to to demand you know more from our from our from our leaders, and that we need better, more effective policies. We need better, more effective leadership. And you know, like I said before, San Francisco is a is a is home to Suvla. This is where it was born. Like we, you know, we love being here. You know, we don't want to leave. You know, but it is it is really really challenging and really really disheartening some days you know, to see and, and to also to have our team, you know, have to, you know, experience and, and be at the, be at the front lines of, of dealing with, with individuals or situations that quite frankly, they shouldn't be dealing with and, or that they don't have the training and the qualifications necessary to do so, nor honestly, should they need to be, you know, like our, like at Suvla, our, our goal is to deliver, you know, incredibly delicious food and, you know, warm, welcoming hospitality and, and, a, and a great dining experience. We want our guests to enjoy and love Suvla and have a great time there. And our team is, is thoroughly trained on how to, on how to execute on those things, you know, but, you know, de-escalating, you know, situations dealing with, 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 with people that are suffering from mental illness or drug addiction or any of those things, people that, that, that exhibit violent behavior, you know, we we are not law enforcement. We are not social workers. We are not that we 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 don't have that type of training. We're not resourced to be to be dealing with that. And quite frankly, you know, we really shouldn't be. You know, and I think that when you look at other cities of our size across America, and certainly the restaurants that operate there, I just don't think that you see you know the the type of conditions and behavior and 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 just general like experiences that we're seeing here. So you know, I I just I sort of meant that. You know, I, I, you know, try to be pretty sort of understanding. Understanding, I think, is, I think is a great word for it. We have a very, very diverse workforce. We welcome all people from all genders and races, and and we're really, really proud of of of, of that team. And and like I said at the start, my my priority is my team's safety and security, and my guests' safety and security. And I will do anything in my power to ensure that these people are taken care of and are and are safe. It's. It's a tough issue because it's so polarizing. It, it kind of works against the ethos of, right, the restaurant is all-inclusive, feel good, you know, take care of everyone. This issue is a tough one. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of change that needs to happen. But there's also, you know, if it was if it was a simple one, I think there'd be progress on it. But if it is complex, it is challenging, and there's some decisions, I think, being made that are kind of just fanning the flames and not not necessarily making the change that you know i think business owners like you said the the amount of work you do to just open a, a business a restaurant 
is so enormous, the challenges and odds you're against to be successful just on people wanting to go eat food are enormous. Now you throw added, a theft can can cripple, you know, a, a struggling restaurant can be crippled by theft, losing one loyal customer because they had a bad experience with, with someone outside. Right. I mean, those those things, it's like you almost can go do a boot camp for other restaurants on like, all right, like this is like the survival of the fittest lecture series where like having to clean out the, the rotisserie or the oven is like a dream. You know what I mean? Finding out like that thing got fire a little bit is like, I, I love those days. Try some of these other oh, things. Listen, operating, operating a restaurant under the best conditions is incredibly challenging, right? You like, unlike other industries, other sectors, you have to know an awful lot about a lot of different things, right? You have to become a jack of all trades, you know, where you have to know about plumbing, electrical, you know, wine, food, you know, basic carpentry, you know, IT networking, you know, payroll, payroll yeah. accounting, HR, you know, you know, finance, P&Ls, balance sheets, you know, raising people, capital. People with food allergies. All, like again, yeah. Like on top of you, would, you would think that it's just about cooking food and like serving nice wine and like you know knowing how to do that stuff, which that that in and of itself, there's a, a whole world of. But you have to know, you know, owning and operating, you have to know so many other things, like just the the full spectrum. So when you and that's that's in the best of possible, you know, environments. So now when you're dealing with, you know, theft or vandalism or you know dealing with you know people that that are struggling with you know mental health you know issues or addiction or any of those things on top of all of that. And of course, we all be, we all had to become epidemiologists over the last couple of years as well. Let's just throw that on top of it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an awful lot. It's a simulation. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, I think the thing that, 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 you know, saddens me the most is, you know, we're, a lot of our restaurants, you know, we've been very fortunate. We've gotten a lot of great press, you know, locally and nationally and quite frankly, internationally over the years. And, we're really, really proud to serve a lot of tourists, you know, people that are that are visiting San Francisco, whether from other states or, or other countries, you know, and especially in Hayes Valley has become like the sort of like, you know, cool sort of indie sort of shopping destination. And, and you know, you, you see people who are visiting from from either out, either out of state or, or out of the country and, you know, tourists from from Europe, you know, you can generally spot pretty, pretty easily, just like you can spot Americans in Europe pretty, pretty easily. And I and I and I, you know, my heart breaks when I when I see, you know, something happen on 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 the sidewalk or the or the, or the street or God forbid, you know, and this has happened, you know, it, you know, instances in in our restaurants that really taint their not only their 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 experience in Zuba but their experience in in San Francisco, you know. So that's that's I think the hardest part, you know, of, of you know operating is just seeing some of this stuff, and then and then also again, like we're you know. We as, a, as an organization, you know, are in my mind, you know, are still very much a small business, okay. you know, and so we and we have a finite amount of resources and we're not we're not resourced to, you know, deal with, you know, whether it's the individuals or just the general cleanliness. You know, we, we have we have the power and the ability to deal with the cleanliness of our of our storefront, you know, and the in the areas that that, you know, that people see. But we can't. We're not resourced to deal with the cleanliness, you know, of, of the entire street or the entire block or the park or any of those other things. You know, we rely on city services of which we pay, you know, certainly based, you know, compared to any other, you know, city or state in the U.S., you know, quite a bit more in terms of, you know, permit fees, taxes, and payroll taxes, and all these other things that should afford, 
you know, these, these basic services to be met of which they're just, you know, unfortunately not. So, so yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm still long San Francisco, you know, this is, a, this is a town that, that is, you know, known for its sort of booms and it's, and, and it's bus. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I still remain optimistic for the future, you know, and like I said, we've, we, we've built, you know, a really, really incredible team of people, many of whom have been with us for, you know, either the entire history of the business or certainly, you know, six, seven, eight years. And I want to continue to provide opportunity for them. And so we, we really do love it here, but, but we really do need help, you know, and we need help at the, at the highest levels, you know, and that's not, that's not a soothless thing. That's, I think, you know, whether it's the, the San Francisco restaurant community and the San Francisco small business community, you know, all of those things. It's like, you know, we, we need action. We need to hold our leaders accountable. You know, I think that, I think that, I think everyone, I think can very easily see a lot of these issues and they're very good at, you know, sending us their, like, you know, their thoughts and their understanding and all these things and saying that we need to change this, but, but we as business owners are not, we don't, we're not in a position of power in order to, to, to create that change. That's, that's, that's why we have elected leaders, you know? So, you know, my hope is that, is that things do get better and not worse. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, but it is, it, it's, it's, it's really, really sad. And I, and I feel like that's about as much as I can probably say on the subject while, while still being, you know, pretty, pretty proactive and, and forthright, but in also just professional. So. Yeah, it's we we covered that one a lot. It's a, I think it's an all hands on deck type of a thing. Like, hey, if you if you get a water leak in your restaurant, my guess is you don't like mix that in with the other items. You're like, this is a must handle right now because water damage is devastating. And exactly. even if you even if you had to shut down the restaurant for a day, if yeah. it meant that you stopped that problem, you would do it. I see the homeless issue in San Francisco. I mean, I work as a firefighter in Santa Monica. Similarly, if we don't get this right, everything else is for naught. It doesn't matter if you build a park, if the park is unusable. We have to get this right for everyone. So hopefully that's the the trajectory that, you know, future leaders are on, I hope. Yeah. And my and Dom, my head is off to you just and thank you for your service because I know that you know, we, we at least we here in, in in San Francisco owe an awful lot to the San Francisco Fire Department, and and you know, anytime I, I and I personally owe a lot to to firefighters. I lost my house in a wildfire in 2020, and we've had one of our restaurants catch fire actually twice. So, and I and I know for a fact that you all have to combat a lot of these issues that we just discussed. You're often you know the first responders, and oftentimes you know the ones that have to deal with and or help and or mitigate people that are, you know, struggling with mental illness or people that are, that are, you know, addicted to drugs or, or, you know, people that are, that are out in the streets, uh, oftentimes you're, you're the one that that's, that's on the sea, you know, and, and even though your job is to fight fires and save lives, it seems a lot of that, that has been, has been put onto, onto you all. So I just, I just want to thank you and your, and your crew for, for everything that, that you do. Thanks. I no, appreciate it. You know, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm on, I'm checking out news and, and I know that, I don't know if it was this year or last year, there was a coalition that was banding together. And I don't know if it was restaurants or just a lot of local businesses, but you know, they were getting so fed up with the situation in the city that they were going to not pay their taxes. Yeah. Uh, I remember, I remember reading about that. We were not part of that, but I do, I do remember that. That was something that I think was mostly businesses that were in the cash drum. Do you, do you foresee something like that happening kind of 
if things don't get better because I just feel like with, you know, it's raising rents and still things are getting much worse. The two, the equations, they just don't add up. You know, they're not inviting to people trying to come into the city to stimulate the economy. And I mean, you look at Fisherman's Wharf for an example, you know, it's a completely dead space. You know, we grew up in Fisherman's Wharf. Our family had a restaurant, crab restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's a place where, you know, there's tons of theft and a lot of businesses are boarded up. There's no crab restaurants anymore. All of the major right. ones have closed down. I mean, how you're growing and you're expanding and, you know, it's just, I'm curious to get your input on that. Yeah. I mean, as far as like trying to, trying to do another maneuver where we like hold on to paying taxes or, or, or fees or something like that. I don't know. I mean, it definitely got the attention of city leadership and I'm sure something was kind of worked out a little bit over there, but I've, you know, in, in that respect, I mean, we don't have a tremendous amount of leverage, right? Because, you know, the the city and the, all, all the various agencies, you know, can, you know, if we don't perform or, you know, renew this permit or do this or whatever, they could effectively shut our business down. So, so, and, and it's not only about obviously like we want to remain in business, but also again, I, you know, I have a responsibility to all of my employees to make sure that they are, you know, compensated and, and taken care of. You know, and right. so, you know, closing, closing the businesses to, to make a point, you know, it doesn't pay, you know, my team's rent, you know, or, or healthcare for their, for their families or any of those things. So, and it, and it just seems that, that, you know, being vocal in the matter just, you know, sort of attracts a lot more sort of negative attention, whether it's on, you know, Twitter or social media, because there's a lot of people that, that, you know, that, that just like to do that. So I, I don't know if that's the correct solution there and you know i i have a, and i won't get into the story but i i have been on on the receiving end of, of a lot of a lot of sort of hateful comments and death threats and things like that just for for things that have happened mostly during the the COVID era but uh, which i i just i don't it's a little too much for me to get into but you know it's just sad you know and obviously there's there's twitter as as, as its own little world and then the yeah. reality but but i i do think that i do think there's a lot of people on there that are that are doing a really, really great job of, of, of being, you know, like exposing a lot of the stuff and sort of demanding, like we talked about before, demanding more, more action. But no, I think that, I think that this is something that is going to like, is not going to happen. It's not going to be fixed overnight. And, and it's, and, and we need to, we need to, you know, in, in many ways, I'm speaking broadly, there have been a lot of effectively the same sort of policies and this insane methods being used over, over many, many years. And we're reapplying them expecting different results, which right. is really the definition of insanity. So we'll leave that there. I, you know, I think yeah. that, I think that, you know, I, I wish that, you know, we could open more restaurants in San Francisco. I, I, I don't see that being a reality right now. I need LA. No, I know. Because I need some of the, I need some stuff, dude. Some of the potatoes. I know. I, and, and listen, and I, and I, and I, and I, you know, and I and I hope that 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 does change. We are building out a Russia right now in Marin, nice. in 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 Larchburg Landing at the at the Marin Country Mart. That's been in, in in the works now for a number of years. So we're so we're really excited about that. You know, I I think that you know I think that there will be opportunities elsewhere. Marin for us is a is a logical step. You know, a lot of people over the years that have been dining at Suvla either have just always lived in Marin and used to be in the city and now probably don't have to as much because of remote work. Also just, you know, life moves on. And so a lot of people that were 
dining at Suvlo maybe six, seven years ago when they were young and single or now married and starting families and have naturally sort of made the move out to the suburbs of Marin, as a lot of people do. So it's really our goal to try and bring um, Suvlo to to as many people as, as we can. And Would you franchise? No. Never. It's always going to be... Stop yeah. trying to get a stop trying to get a Suva shop downstairs, Mike. My wife wants to run it, dude. It's just not going to happen, dude. Listen, it's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, and 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 for us, honestly, Marin Marin is going to be a really really great a great first next step. We've only been in San Francisco for nine years, right? So Marin's going to be a great sort of next step for us to see what a Suva looks like outside of San Francisco. Okay. And and will be and I think will be a, it will be a very very good proxy for us for additional markets. On your on your note about franchising and things along those lines, you know, just know this, and 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 this is nothing against franchising, right? I was nothing against you, Mike. We know you. It's nothing, it's, it's nothing against you, Mike, either. It's it's you know, and there are a lot of people that have obviously gone the franchise route that have that have that have built you know incredible brands and incredible businesses, and so this is not a knock on on franchising. You have to understand that that Suvla is very very personal to me, and it, and I do not have children. My wife and I don't have kids, but you know they are by proxy in certain way like sort of like kids to me. And they are incredibly resource intensive businesses. They are, they are first and foremost, they are people businesses that, that require a tremendous amount of oversight and nuance on a daily basis to operate. People see Suvla, they dine in a Suvla and they see this very simple menu and they just think that we can just stamp them out, you know, yeah. and that's, and that's, and that's very, very much not the case. Restaurants do not scale like a piece of software or a piece of hardware or a widget or whatever those things are. You can't like you can't just scale them in that way. They require a tremendous amount of thought and of planning and honestly of of personnel development. You know, the majority of our restaurants now are 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 run are, are managed and operated by people that started with us years ago in entry level line level roles. So so we have we, we we continue to yeah we we've always been a big 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 proponent of, of promotion from within and sort of developing almost like this farm team and so we have a lot of people that are running our restaurants that it's their it's their first management role and they're and they're getting real time on the job training about how to run a business right they're getting it in many ways you know uh, a lot of our team you know do, you know doesn't have the, the same level of education you know maybe it's you know a little college or you know or certainly high school but now they're getting effectively like an MBA in in the real world on on how to operate a restaurant and we're, and so they they become incredibly fluent and in, you know how to how to manage their their P&L and you know how to hit their numbers and 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 of course how to how to manage people how to manage guests how to deal with all everything that we that we've talked about so i again i've said this several times i i remain incredibly proud of of the team that we have built and yeah and and, and at some point we will we will make it to to LA you know, we've always kind of been on this path of trying to do, of doing basically one restaurant a year. COVID obviously threw a little bit of a wrench in, in things, but we're getting back, we're getting back to that, to that groove now that we've brought all the, all the restaurants back. Charles, you have a fine dining background, you were saying, right? Yes, sir. So I'm a huge fan of Chef's Table. I don't know if you watched that. I love, yeah, I love, I, I love the show. They got to get you on there, by the way. Yeah. And what one of my favorite parts of the show, which kind of made me think of it, was was this whole thing about franchising and the quality. I love the I love the sourcing of the ingredients. Mm-hmm. It, is that something that you find? I mean, are you traveling around? You know, always looking for new vendors. I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff where you have to scale and you have to get things that maybe come together. But are you always kind of traveling? I'm going to go check these these Kalamata olives and and like you know. 
Ah, uh, you know, and you're like checking it out. You're like, I don't know, I might, I might run this, or maybe a new dish, or some stuff like that. Yeah, it's listen. It is, it is a great question. So, Suvla historically has had a very what's what's known as like a static menu. We haven't really changed the menu in nine years. Having said that, we have continued to refine and evolve our supply chain and our vendors and our sourcing over the years, right? And that's through a combination of, you know, growing and just and growing with our and some vendors can can grow and scale with you and some cannot. It is this delicate balance of of balancing quality and price. Right. We we try to make Subla, you know, a very, very approachable, affordable restaurant to go to. So so we have to find a balance in terms of the products that, that we source and where we're sourcing them from. We have we we we've done a our, our newest restaurant which we opened last summer in the dog patch is the first that has kind of an expanded what we call a benze menu so more traditional Greek small plates so that was a fun opportunity to kind of like expand and start to like look at different products and bringing in certain Greek cheeses and you know things along those lines you know it's the first and only Suba that has you know octopus on the menu the first that has seafood on the menu and things along those lines. Tony, who is our chef and my partner in the business, is despite him not being Greek, he's Italian, is just incredibly talented and really has a way with 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 Greek cuisine. So that was really his labor of love, and he and he and he put together just a really really incredible menu there. I do. I'm actually finally getting back to going to Greece. Tony and I generally go to Greece about once a year. We've had to take a little bit of a break the last few years for the obvious reasons. I'm going back with my parents actually in July. And so we have the country's only all Greek beverage list down to the sparkling water. Yeah. And we actually we actually have our own line of Greek wines as well as our own Greek beer. So we actually work with three different wineries in Greece to produce four different wines under the Suba label, all featuring native Greek grape varietals. And then we also have a, a Suba beer that's, that's brewed for us in Greece as well, in addition to things like sparkling water and uh, Greek iced tea and Greek sodas and stuff like that. So... You know there are opportunities. Um, you know I, I love to go back to just continue. It's 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 a great way for me to sort of fill my tank a little bit and continue to get inspired and you know explore you know other parts of the country and other you know iterations of the cuisine and you know find new grape varietals and meet with our with our producers. That's how the wine thing started. You know it was I was there with my now wife and we were. Uh, she didn't know it at the at the time we were ready, we're, we're going to get engaged. We we did get engaged in in, in Santorini and, and and you know in in conversation with with one of the wineries and we had been selling their wines for a little while and it was kind of like I was like would you ever do this as a as a label you know private label for us? He's like well you know I don't know how much would you need and I and I gave him at the time we were selling an awful lot of we still do an awful lot of Greek wine and he's like he was kind of like his jaw dropped though he's like yeah we can do that I was like great. So, so yeah, so, so there's, there's always, always fun opportunities. We were in 2019, 29, we're on a, we're, we, we were on a very cool trip that was mostly about Greek olive oil and feta cheese. So we were, we were touring feta cheese factories, olive vineyards and stuff like that. So yes, I guess is the short answer to your, I just your picture life. you like the godfather. They're bringing you in the olive oil. There's the cast of olive oil. They're <laughs> swirling it. You're like, yeah, uh, well, listen, know, I mean, we'll you think know, about it. We'll think about it. Totally. Totally. And and I'm a Sicily. Obviously, I have not. I I was just in. I was in Puglia last year. My first time back to Europe since since COVID. So I was I was near Sicily, but I was southern Italy, but not all the way down to Sicily. But I was in, I was in Puglia, which was I was in Rome and Puglia. And Puglia was I mean truly truly amazing. I think it's probably gonna be the next the next big place. It actually, reminded me quite a bit of Greece and just in terms of the the landscape and you know all the olive trees and all the other stuff. So really really wonderful place. 
our dad is from Sicily, and okay. that's where Dominic got married in 2019. And nice. you know, it, I, I like to call Sicily kind of the poor man's Greece because you can go to Agrigento in Sicily, and they've got the Greek temples there. Yeah, they're massive. Yeah, there's no lines. Right, tons of great food, tons of you know delicious lemon dishes, pistachio right. dishes. I mean, it's it's really fun, but. No, man, we, we really enjoyed having you on the show. Before we let you go, we like to do this lightning round where we ask sure. questions about San Francisco. Okay. Ranging from food, music, sports. Our last champ on the show, I believe, was... Who was the last champ? Um, was it Jeremy Fish? Oh, Jeremy Fish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a that's an OG. That's an OG. That's San Francisco native. Jeremy's is actually good friends with, with Tony, our, our, our chef. We've done some does some work with him over over the years super super great guy I love his work but he's gonna I, I i'm 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 a little nervous to to do this because despite me being in san francisco for, for for 15 years i'm i'm well aware of the pride associated with being a san francisco native and so <laughs> i'm I, you know we'll we'll see how i do a lot of people have lost it doesn't mean anything you know we 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 set the questions up trying to make people not win the the belt so don't worry okay. like we we try to sometimes a lot of people the first round but we're going to kind of set this up you know nice and easy for you in rounds we'll do it like you know backyard barbecue first startup branching out multiple locations and three questions you know, yeah all right well we know the fourth is the championship oh, yeah. yeah okay don't lead us off dude okay we're going to start off with this is easy this is just like you know this this is straight out of the gate here, okay? What San Francisco landmark was originally built for the 1915 Panama Pacific International Expo? It's now the most recognizable structure in the city. The most recognizable. They, they say one of them, but I mean, like, this is like, okay, if there's a structure in San Francisco, it's this. I'm going to go with Palace of Fine Arts. Oh, ooh, I actually guessed that. But it, it's is that, but that was that was that was World's Fair. So, yes, that was so. Can I? Can I? So if I so, but hang on the track. Would it be? Would it be? Would it be? Would it be? Because you said Panama Pacific. Was it? It's the most. It was World's Fair. So I'm gonna go with Koi Tower. No, I also oh. went with Koi Tower. Yes. No. 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 Listen. Okay. It's the most recognized. What is the ever? Then it's the then it's the Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate Bridge, yeah. Okay. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna allow this first you, round. You, you, you threw with this with this Panama Pacific. It's 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 it's. It, I'll just let you know. Mike kind of helped source this one, and it got me too. It's uh, a little bit of a curveball. It's yeah. a little bit of a curveball, and and uh, for, we're we're for, we're trying bonus points for, for bonus points. The color is international orange. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Next question is going to be tougher, and this is a. This is a, a food restaurant question, and it Ooh, is tough. Okay, this is more my wheelhouse. All right. Okay. What historic San Francisco restaurant opened in 1849 is the oldest continuously operating restaurant in California, and it's known for its signature seafood dishes, killer seafood spot, old school spot. It is the oldest restaurant in San Francisco. So so I, I think I have, so I, I want to say Caddish Grill. But I want to nailed it, nailed it. That's it. I was, Got it. I was, I was, I was expecting a little bit of a because I think it technically it doesn't. I think it just closed. Well, it's under new ownership because I feel like the old clam house is very, very close. But I believe, but I believe Tadich is still very much the one. So I, there we go. Hangtown Fry. 
Okay, so we're moving we're moving along here for the last rounds. Now I'm gonna go I'm gonna pivot from our third our our third question to something in your wheelhouse. You told me you you were spending living in the inner Richmond, correct? That's right. Oh, okay. I mean, not anymore, but but when I moved to the city, that that's I, I spent the first first chunk of my time in the city in both the inner and the outer Richmond. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Which burrito taco spot with a few locations? in inner richmond and inner sunset and the name of the restaurant if you were to call someone this probably would not be the most i know fun. i got it i got it well this was this was this was oh, my spot. this was my spot you have to understand when i moved to the city certainly working for other people and trying to live alone you know money was let's just say money was tight so, so this was this was my so between the my go-to dim sum spot on clement street and this particular taqueria which still remains my my personal favorite this is gordo's taqueria yes sir nailed it okay mike do you have the belt because now i gotta find it you guys gotta give me one sec he's looks you see him looking for the belt now i'm gonna throw so that was kind of off the cuff and i'm gonna go similar one of something that's very close to our hearts which is much tougher okay but this one okay so Gordos is is a is an awesome burrito taqueria, like just just unreal. But there is a gem. There is a very special gem of a taqueria that lays in the outer Richmond in okay. Balboa. Mm-hmm. And and this taqueria is like one location. Mm-hmm. Is one location. It's in the outer Richmond. The it's on it's on Balboa. And it is, I believe, and our family firmly believes that this is the best taqueria in the Bay Area. You're not going to find it on lists. You're not going to find it on the top. It's it's in the outer Richmond, and it's right next to Simple Pleasures Cafe. In that, if you, what no. name of the cafe? Listen, I'm not. Listen, I'm not, I'm not a computer, but I'm not. I I I'm not. I'm not going to look this up. Yeah, he's not going to look it up. Uh, I'm not going to look it up, man. And it's just because I was always, I was always more on the east. I was always off of California or, or Clement or Lake, so I'm not as much in tune with the with the Balboa stuff. It's it's a it's a tough one. It's it's. I don't. I I I couldn't. I don't know. I'm sorry to say, but now I want to okay. go. So so. <laughs> I mean, look, the place was opened by people who started Gordos. The name of the taqueria does. It's Chino's Chino's Taqueria. It's out in the outer oh, sunset. Wow. And okay. I mean, they have, I, I don't know if we, I mean, we, we, our family must have dropped like 40 grand at that place over, <laughs> over, you know, like, like, like the decades. I mean, it got so, it got so intimate there that they like, I, I went in one time on my birthday and didn't even say anything. And they like, we're joking around, put a handle on the table, and they're like, "Happy birthday, man!" And it was like, "That's awesome." See, look, those are those are those are the kind of stories that really, that really warm the heart. I, I will say that I and, and again, there are many restaurants. Just when I thought I knew most of them, there are obviously many that I don't, and I and I haven't say that I that I had not heard of this restaurant. That that being said, I am definitely going there. The obviously the taqueria conversation and people's favorites and preferences. I would say probably just as polarizing, just as polarizing. combative as our earlier conversation with respect to the the condition <laughs> of the city of San Francisco and things along those lines. Just so, just as you know, divisive and sort of vitriolic. So you got you got to try taco if you ever get out to the marina. Oh yeah, yeah. taco I know. Very oh. polarizing though because it's very not authentic. You know, yeah, not- a little bit a little bit closer. I'm, I'm originally from New England, so there's oh, okay. a New England sort of 
I think the owner and I shared some, somewhat of a regional upbringing there. So there's there's definitely some stuff that's kind of near and dear. Yeah. Know? I'll tell you one thing, though, as far as the Greek corner of things, Suvla, y'all have it locked. Because, Thank you, because, so you know, it's, it's honestly, I really need one down here in LA, like big time, or I'm going to start doing DoorDash from there to here, which, <laughs> you know, I know the food may not hold that well, but like, so, so I mean, like, yeah, it's, it's, man, I see the sky being the limit for you guys. You just have yeah. such a, a great branding. The food's incredible. It's dynamic and it's, it's, it's experience based. It's, it's primed for the way I kind of see the future of dining going you guys are just like locked and loaded man yeah. oh thank you i appreciate that yeah it's been a, a really really wonderful journey you know, obviously something that that could not have been done without the the support of you know countless people whether it's friends investors obviously tony to my, my my partner or jen my wife you know i come from a couple generations of small business owners and entrepreneurs so it's you know it's it's going on your own is obviously obviously not easy the restaurant business is not easy it's there's a little bit of the 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 kind of analogy of the you know the duck swimming on the pond the duck looks you know nice and steady and just underneath the water just like the rapidly constant you know feet paddling over there there's a little bit of that um, for sure but it's a you know it's a it's a really really wonderful profession and, and like I said it's it's very much a, a a testament to to my team that that now really you know are are taking the lead on on all our operations and and everything else so thank you both for for having me on this has been yeah really really great and really great to to chat with you and, and get to know you a little bit and love the format and love what you're doing and and yeah really great <laughs>